0: what's up y'all my name is t shaw and this is brewing black podcast where the contents we serve you is authentic vulnerable and relatable that means we serve you with no cream and no sugar i guess i like my coffee black
1: Yo, 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 what's going on, everyone? My name is Scallopi, and my pronouns are he, him, his.
0: And it's your boy, T-Shaw, pronouns
1: he, him, his. And this is Brewing Black, giving you the latest in Black news and entertainment for our intellectuals, our millennials, and those who like their news like we like our coffee.
0: Black. T, how you feeling, man? I'm feeling good, bro. I'm feeling good. Today was a rainy uh, LA day. I, I It was a little harder to get out of bed. I felt like I was moving a little slower. Um, but the week's been good. We we had some great networking networking opportunities yesterday. That was revitalizing. It's always great to talk to people that are in the space of doing creative things and really just chasing their dreams. And I think that yesterday really reminded me um, like that we really live in LA. And I think that it's one of the more special places like in the world where I feel like everybody has a dream and a lot of people are chasing it and it just adds more fuel to the fire. How you feeling?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, it's been an inspiring week. Um, you know, I finally got my dissertation stuff going, got hey. recruitment flyers, got my first little interview tomorrow. Um, for those of you who don't know, when you get your first interview for your dissertation, it's a beautiful process because you've had to write, defend what you've written, mm-hmm. uh, you know, create your project, get approval for it. Um, and now we are we are in the beginning stages, so very thankful for that. And like you said, T, um, the creative space, spaces in LA where you can network and really, you know, you might, you're going to Probably be talking to the next person who's doing something great to impact the world. Because um, the the more interviews I watch, the more I realize how how much Hollywood is interconnected, and people you don't think even think know each other were actually working on each other this pro on this project or met met each other on this film and what have you. So Big it's facts. it's 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 really cool to be a part of LA's history in that.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So before we get started, I want to do our land acknowledgments. So we, as always, are sitting on this land of the Gabrielino and the Tongva. This is stolen land. This is colonized land. And we will always, always, always pay those respects. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Um, and so, what we're going to head into right now is something known as our espresso shots. Um, and that's when we just give you quick updates on some of the things going on in the world before we get into some of our main topics for today. Um, so, we first of all want to give a big uh, rest in peace to Nick Cannon's son, Zen. Um, you know, Nick Cannon. It was a very vulnerable moment. He was on a show when he made the announcement to the world um, that his his son, who's not he wasn't even a year old, had passed. And so we want to, you know, give a big shout uh, shout out to Nick for being vulnerable enough to say that on national television and to, you know, show his emotion um, because I think a lot of times as men, Um, that hasn't been all the way normalized yet. And so we want to give a shout out for Nick feeling vulnerable enough and comfortable enough to share that type of news with the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's personal. That's that's so close. And it's hard to share, right? Like, that's hard to to know that it had happened. And it was like, I think it was cancer, too. It's like I didn't even know babies and like young kids could get cancer like that. So, yeah, um just keeping uh, Nick and his family in our, our thoughts absolutely
1: absolutely now what we also have to talk about too um because that baby was was innocent um but jesse smollett man geez uh, a lot of you all know him uh as nice. as jamal from empire from the hit show empire on fox um and to lee Daniels, siraji p, Han- p. hansen tara Toward, and the crew um but um a, a couple of years back um, he was. He said that he got attacked outside of a subway in Chicago late night, um, and it came to be that he actually, um, you know, wasn't necessarily telling the truth mm. on that, um, and it sparked a lot of conversations and debates um, in the community. Um, and and you know that might be for another day, but um, we wanted to let you know that he was charged. He was found guilty, um, you know, as of today, and so mm. um, people are trolling the heck out of him uh, right now because uh, they're saying, oh, just justice for for jesse and yeah. like his attacker was brought to justice so i mean it is what it is you can't lie about these things when LGBTQI plus folks really get attacked viciously and killed you know mm. uh quite often in america
0: yeah and i i you know i i was trying to figure out why he was on trial but then i realized it was because he put in a fake police report and like they're punishing that but I feel like in a way that what he did was nuttier than, like, what I would just characterize as a crime. Because the only person that was really hurt in it was him. Um, and I, I don't know, man. Like, I think that his career is probably over. Like, I I, I think that they're – yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's just a lot of penalty for him right now. And so I think throwing charges on top of that, I don't know if that comes with jail time. But I, I – in a situation like that, does jail time really do anything for anybody in that situation? I think it's just, it, it was just nutty, bro. Like, more than anything, it was just nutty. And uh, he doesn't have a career um, after this. So it. I I remember it's, like, kind of out of sight, out of mind. But I remember when it first happened, it was big news. And then they were like, yeah, no, this might be fake. And I think we just all kind of stopped talking about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It seemed like, you know, there was probably a more restorative justice you know, type approach. You know what I'm saying. And not to say that he should be the face of anything, but I feel like he could have used his resources or have to do community service to the effect of of helping prevent violence, um, and reduce violence against LGBTQIA plus folks. Um, you know, and helping educate others so that they don't, you know, um, cause violence, whether it be verbal, physical, emotional, what have you. Mm. Um, and I think that. You know, if it doesn't go that route, because I'm hearing that he might not get jail time. I'm not sure, but he probably won't serve prison time. But Mm. if they don't redirect it and use this moment as a moment for him to help others, help others not not do these types of things or commit any type of violence against the LGBTQI plus community, Mm. then I think they've lost an opportunity.
0: Absolutely. And I hope he just got some help, because I think like anyone that goes out of their way to stage something like this, that. That to me seems like a cry for help because no sane person really does that. So uh, for anybody that um, it feels that way, like to to steep that load to like do something for the career, like or for a political moment, like, yeah, yeah, I just I just pray for help for you. Right, right,
1: absolutely, absolutely. And speaking of prayer, um, it, we we are going to have to talk about Joel Olstein and his uh, mega church, Lakewood, mm-hmm. um, located in Houston, Texas. And um, someone had stolen six hundred thousand um, dollars, and they actually and they offered twenty a twenty thousand dollar reward uh, for, for for information leading to the arrest of the the thief. Um, and they ended up giving it to Crime Stoppers, uh, twenty thousand dollars to Crime Stoppers. However. Um, so a plumber actually found $600,000 in the wall. Um, it, all of it's a little weird to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, how does a church that has cameras, you know, miss someone putting it in the walls, I guess? Mm-hmm. Um, or I assume that Lakewood has, has a lot of cameras around. Yeah. Um, so it, it's all a little weird and wonky. Um, and, and to be honest, I feel like not to say that $20,000 is a small amount, but it's like I found 600000 thousand of them things so i don't know some some of it just all seems a little bit fishy to me but Absolutely. you know we, we we wanted to keep you updated dated someone did find it they did give this man twenty thousand of them things
0: yeah and it's a little weird right just like you said like for me with joel Osteen, i feel like there's been a pattern of weird behavior um i remember when that hurricane hit um uh houston he didn't want to let nobody in like he didn't want to use the church to house anybody. Um, and I, I thought that was weird. Right. Because you think of church and Christianity like those are the values. So I thought that was kind of weird. But yeah, also thinking about it, it's like when you lose that much money, what was it? Yeah, Four hundred thousand dollars, six hundred thousand, six hundred thousand dollars. Like there was probably an insurance claim put in on that. So I wonder what happens with that. Knowing that the money was always there and it's like, who put the money there and who had access to the money that could move it incognito into the walls of the church? I don't know. Just like you said, it sounds a little fishy. I'm not a private investigator, but I hope somebody is on the case.
1: Yeah, and it goes back to what you were saying about these trends and patterns. I mm-hmm. remember watching an episode of of uh, Joel Osteen's like uh, Sunday morning service, and he was saying that like there was something structurally about the church that wouldn't have allowed people and to let people in, or they like they would have been in danger. But like I'm not I'm not sure because I'm just like it's a mega church, so mm-hmm. like I don't is are, is every place and crevice in that church. A risk to people that you could have let in, mm-hmm. like questions about that. So mm-hmm. it's and it's like, like you said, it's multiple things. So one thing we can be like, maybe. But like these little things continue to add up, and I'm gonna tell you something, Mr. Joel. You um you better be careful because when the pastor comes out with a scandal, you know what I'm saying? It it, it hits a lot harder based on on um, the path that you've chosen uh, to walk. So because. you know we'll we'll be keeping y'all updated on things going on with that Lakewood church church that hit the news. Um, but yeah, just just be careful out there, y'all. You know, proceed with caution. All right. Um, and speaking of proceeding with caution, we're going to get into something called our light Gross. roast. <laughs> so TA, tell everyone what's what's going on because right right here we, we we're talking about L- LAPD and fear mongering. Tell people first of all what fear mongering is and then tell us how LAPD is doing it this season.
0: Absolutely. So um fear mongering is the generation of just fear amongst the masses, right? Um so people have claimed that like COVID That the government is just uh, fear mongering around COVID. But it's like you can take a look at statistics, especially in context to understand that like this is a real pandemic. This is a real epidemic going on. And that's affecting not only the United States, but countries worldwide. Right. Um, But when we think about fear mongering, it it often is, is baseless. Right. Like there is nothing really to worry about as much as someone is telling you to worry about it. Um, and with LAPD, they are fear mongering around crime, especially in this holiday. Um, so I want to play this clip for y'all real quick so y'all can hear what uh, the I-, I believe he's a detective for the LAPD has to say about the crime. And then we can kind of like break it down after we hear about what he says my message to anybody considering coming to los angeles especially during the holiday season is don't a sobering and somewhat terrifying statement from the la police protective league the union representing lapd officers the message coming as a crime wave continues to slam the city and surrounding areas we can't guarantee
1: your safety it, it is really really out of control um, you know i said it to people before it's like that movie purge you know instead of 24 hours commit your crime. These bad people have 365 days to commit whatever they want. The warnings seem to
0: resonate with residents. It's pretty scary walking at night. Sarah Veenstra moved to L.A. from Wisconsin about six months ago. She didn't realize crime and safety would be such major issues. I genuinely thought it'd be a safe area. It turned out not to be as safe as I thought. I'm definitely, like, carrying something on me every single time I walk out of the house when it's dark out. Rampant crime continues. Some of the... okay Mm -hmm. so uh, any initial impressions on that uh, scholar P
1: yeah I mean I don't like the labeling I guess Mm -hmm. um that the, the officer had um, the these bad people like what what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Um, there also there also wasn't a lot of conversations about like what particular parts of LA LA and like were these violent crimes like like I want more details before you like incite that type of fear mm-hmm. in people because I think a lack of deep there's you know there's uh, the devil is in the details, but the devil can also be in the lack of details, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, that was very curious. And then I don't know what the race or ethnicity of that woman was, but like she was quite tan, yeah. um, and and that was just weird for it to me. When I heard <laughs> Wisconsin, I was just like, oh, I, I don't, I don't even trust what you say anymore. Yeah. Not all our Wisconsin listeners, but. I just, like, is less I, I'm pretty sure that was a white girl from Wisconsin with a uh, wicked, shout out to my Boston people, wicked tan. Um, and I just, I couldn't even, I, I, I heard what she said, but I couldn't really take her seriously with that tan. I think the dangerous thing might have been that tan. Let me stop playing though.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but but those, those are some of my initial reactions, just like you're not really giving people a lot of details. Because Detail. uh, I'm, I'm in Westwood right now, I'm chilling. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you're 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 in Inglewood, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, and I feel like you've had, had a great experience thus far. So, Absolutely. where's this crime at, sir? Yeah, be bro.
0: Like I walk my dog at 11 and 12 at night and be chilling. So it's like that's what we think of when we think about fear mongering, and I I feel like there's been a lot of propaganda recently talking about LA crime. Um, we've saw like on social media and TikTok, whether it be Twitter, or Instagram, too. Um, there's been like, you see these rich people kind of getting, st- uh, stuck up, right? Like I uh, just robbed at gunpoint. And I think that those are the crimes they're talking about. But when we look into the details of those crimes, we're looking at, uh, very wealthy people, people that are driving Teslas, people who are driving like Mercedes X class. I don't even know if it was really a thing, uh, E class, whatever you want to call it. Like these are people that, um, have a good chunk of change and they're getting stuck up at like these very nice restaurants like these aren't just like willy nitty crimes. It's people that probably don't have much taking from people that do have a lot and not saying that that's right. But I think when we're thinking about who the victims in these are like these aren't people that look like you and I and it's not normal people that otherwise would be those victims. Right. Like always keep your head on the swivel. But I think it is important to kind of put this all into context because um, my girlfriend, like her mom was like, Oh, be careful. If you're going to go to a restaurant, I've been seeing people getting robbed at gunpoint, but it's like, they're not going to rob no college student. Like, you know what you're getting from the people that you're getting something from. Like I saw, uh, there was a video of this, uh, this mother. She's a, she seemed like a fairly young mother, but of course she, they, she lived in a very wealthy neighborhood. They had a very extravagant gate and somebody was waiting for her Cause they, she was taking her like daughter out for a walk on a, in the stroller and uh they were waiting for her as she got into the gate and she was just like, you know, la di da di da and then they ran up in the gate after and stole her backpack and stole like her watch and but they're taking things. They're taking very nice things and they're in nice neighborhoods. So I think that again, those are the different the the differentiation that we have to be able to uh point out. But I also wanna just share that the the proof is in the pudding and the proof is in the statistics. And I want to give a big shout out to Gene. We've had Gene on the show and he, he talked about how this was fear mongering and, um, and gave some context on his story today on Instagram. And I wanted to highlight some of the numbers that he pulled up because he looked at uh, the crime and like what crime may be up and what crime might be down. And we saw that homicides are up about 46 percent and car thefts are up about 53 percent. And with some context to that is a lot of a lot more people have cars right now. Cars were selling out. Even rental car places couldn't find cars during the pandemic. So I think that that's important for us to think about, like car thefts will be up when there's one a higher need for cars because people are going back to work. But more people have cars. So there's more cars to steal, if that makes sense. Um, And homicides, I think also we can kind of rationalize. I think that like. Homicide, like knowing that we're still in a pandemic, and a lot of people don't have jobs. A lot of people they they've called it what the Great Resignation, right? So there are people if people are trapped in their own communities, then homicides often will go up in situations like that. But when we look at statistics, uh, with property crime, which they're kind of getting at when they're fear mongering, when they're telling people not to come to LA, they're not like, oh, we think you're gonna get murdered. Like, nah, because we know that murder happens when it's Uh, it's usually interpersonal or intercommunal, right? It's like people that know you are more likely to murder you. But when it comes to property crime, you're going to rob whoever whoever look like a good lick, right? But robberies are actually down about 14% and burglaries are down about 9%. So when we're talking about the purge, bro, like it's not purge-like. And I think that that's where we really see the fear-mongering because when you tell somebody like, oh, don't come here, it's like the purge, but it's the purge uh, every single day of the year, like come on, you know what you're saying to people like the purge. It, it triggers a very specific image of people really like on some anarchy, really just like murking people in the street. And that's not what's happening right now. At all. At I don't. Yeah. Yeah. So no,
1: I think that that's something that we have to keep in mind and just, and just, you know, be willing to do that research or look for people who are doing that, that research, because I think that, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in that narrative. And I think, um, you know, if, Let's say that a lot of the people who are getting robbed uh, recently are wealthy, maybe even white. Um, would is is that the reason the LAPD is saying something, right? And and are we saying that you know when victim when victims look a certain way or have certain resources, that's when it's a problem for society? Mm. And so I, I think that that's just something that we also want want to think about. And I'm going to leave that with our audience to to like really consider. You know
0: yeah and just one more thing before we go off um so very recently in the past election um election of 2020 yeah 2020 uh we passed a proposition here that uh got rid of cash bail because we know that the justice system is often uh uh it has some type of like racial disparities and it's income and racial disparities right so uh, the the lack of a cash bail system allows for uh, more people not to be held on very petty crimes. And I think that that, again, is another piece of of like conservative propaganda talking about like, oh, these policies that we just passed are a reason why there's more crime. But again, the crime that we're talking about is down. So like. If you committed a homicide, you wouldn't otherwise be getting out just because you could because you got zero bail. Like, that's not a real thing. So, again, uh, like Scholar P said, just just start to think about like the the real facts of what we're talking about and actively think about the context and what agenda people have when they're talking about some of these things. Of course, the police want more money. Like that's when we just came off of a year, uh, uh, two years of having major debates around defund the police and uh LA schools got police off their campuses and the students are happy um and i think police recognize that they're losing funds so how can we generate uh more funds we need to generate a need for police and how do we do that is invoking fear like you going to want police if you feel like you going to get robbed or killed like of course like yeah more police on the streets keep us safe but we know that that's not really how it works
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So make sure you all are thinking about the intentions of the people that speak to you and that and that whose words, whose words come into your ear. And, you know, speaking of intentions, right, good, bad or indifferent. We got to get into our building a better brother segment. All right. So Mm -hmm. building a better brother is when we show um, examples of people who are, you know, trying to be a good example uh, of a man. And I think that, you know, not, not all efforts and intentions, you know, always go the way in which we intend. Um, and, and so, you know, here at Brewing Black, you know, we, we, we shout out brothers and sometimes we have to come back and double back and say, hey, look, this brother, maybe he had good intentions, but he also needs to be held accountable. So, T, tell, tell the people about what's going on with uh, Chris Cuomo.
0: Yeah, so Chris Cuomo um got very popular during uh the pandemic. Um he has a had a big position at CNN. He was on primetime at CNN. Um primetime is when everybody is watching. It's the top spot that every anchor is gunning for. Um and he had that position at CNN and he also had a pos- position at uh Sirius XM. Um but he had uh, he either was fired or he left the position. Of, of both CNN and Sirius because, well, he was actually fired from CNN. He was let go um, due to crossing of ethical lines, and that had to do with um, uh, helping out his brother. So a few few weeks ago, we talked about how we had Chris Cuomo as our uh, building a better brother uh, because we, we appreciated him uh, holding his brother accountable and asking his brother to step down when he didn't really want to um, because he knew that, one, it looked bad, but, two, that Uh, He needed to be accountable. He needed to let the process happen. But even in doing so, he um, Chris allowed um, for his brother. So he used his position, uh, his position and his connections to provide insider knowledge to his brother's team as they were working on the allegations. Um, So he had sensitive information about the, the accusers and different things like that. Um, And then he even this week, we found out that he may even have his own sexual misconduct claim against him. Um, So acknowledging that he was our model of being a better brother, I think that we want to hold him accountable um, and say that, like, maybe he wasn't the best case for this. But I think it does also bring up a a bigger question, too. Is like, is there a right way in a situation like that to handle it? Um, thinking about if you had a brother in that situation, right, or you had a close family member um, that had some allegations and they didn't, needed to step down, it. What would you do if you were in a position where you were a top journalist that could get information? Um, is it is it right to use that information to help that family member, or what what else could he have done? I guess is the real question.
1: I think, I think it, you know, um, and shout out to, to some of the people on our live stream, you know, context is key. I'm going to quote them. Um, so I I think that you're going to, I don't think objectivity is a real thing. Um, And I think that a lot of people try to pretend it is. I think that that's how a lot of the isms in and of themselves continue to operate because everyone acts like, you know, the law is objective. My feelings Mm -hmm. are objective, you know, and I think that there's always going to be a part of you that wants to look out for your family member uh, to to at least to a certain extent. And so I think it would be hard for me to to look, look down on. Um, You know, Chris and and say, you know, what you did was was all all the way unreasonable. No one would ever do such a thing. Um, But I think that when it comes to certain things that, that have a deeper moral and ethical consequence, like, you know, sexual harassment and stuff like that, this is when you you do. Pull your, pull your brother to the side and you like hold his his foot to the fire. And I think that when it comes to lawyers or something like that, if you want to use your financial resources or if you find out some evidence because, you know, you have the connections and somebody told you this, told you that, then yeah, maybe you can assist in that way. But um, I think there are a lot of ways in which you try to stay away from it and, and make sure that your brother does get to think about You know what, how what he did might have been wrong, Mm -hmm. and how how your brother can grow from it. Because I think that you know sometimes when when we enable the people that we love, we actually create create a worse situation for them down the road Mm. when we could have uh, addressed it and nipped it in the butt, but sooner. Uh, But I think it's a really tough situation. I would definitely look out for my brother to the extent that I could, but if he was, but like, I think so so like if he accidentally hit somebody with his car, not because he was drunk or anything like that, but like maybe he just wasn't paying attention or something like that. Yeah. I'm going to call lawyers. I'm going to use financial resources, but My brother sexually harassing someone, you know, assaulting someone that's what robbing someone at gunpoint. Mm. Now it's like, bro, I love you. Like, yeah, we can talk about lawyers, but you got to be able to sit with what you've done and be able to deal with that, that consequence, consequence, because that's not who you're supposed to be. Right. That's not the brother that I know. And so Mm. I think that that's one way to to look at it. What, What do you think?
0: Absolutely. And I think that that's what real accountability looks like. If you really love this person, you want this person to be a better person. And, yeah, I I think it was beyond just getting a lawyer right. He wanted to be on the team of people that was working to protect him, working to uh, protect his image, working to uh, uncover details. And it's like if you have such a privileged position, like not too many people can be the top journalists at one of the top news places. And with those connections and with those resources, you can do a lot. And it is kind of cheating. And it also doesn't do much for your brother in the long term, like you were saying. And I also think that, like, in being and trying to build a better brother, like, you're definitely not doing that. Because um, you're you're handicapping them in the way. You're definitely enabling them in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that that's where we, we need to figure out where to draw that line. I think that um it, it happens when we know people that are uh, accused of sexual assault on campus right it's like well yeah like you were my dog but like my dog don't do that right like that's not what i stand for and it's like if you're not holding these people accountable and you're not you you can provide them support but you can also love them from afar too i think that it's yeah. important to also separate yourself just because one it, it might be a lot for you as a person but two it's like You don't want to get entangled in that. And you also don't want to be um, affiliated with that, especially like sexual assault, dog. Like, that's a lot. But also now he does. He may have a sexual misconduct case. So it makes a little bit more sense. Like birds of a feather may flock together. Who knows? But again, if he had separated himself from that, then maybe we don't find out that information, too.
1: Uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, and it goes back to your pointy. Like, the unfortunate part about our friends, and we're talking about men in, in particular, is that um, a lot of times we don't tell each other the whole truth and mm, nothing but the truth. Yeah. Um, and so like, even when when we say like I agree with you, I would hope that my that my boys don't do that. You mm-hmm, know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I've also been told stories about you know, hey, your your homie did this, your homie did that. Yeah. And I've had to address those homies and be like. Yo, if you doing this, I, hey, this ain't this ain't cool, and it's very it's a very uncomfortable thing. But it's like sometimes you have to have those conversations because you know homies are going to be self self preserving at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and it takes homies who 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 ask those deeper questions and be like, hey, yeah, but what about this? What about this? You say this happened, but something's not adding up, bro. You wanna you wanna elaborate further? You know if they mm-hmm. allow you to do that. So uh, I think that like you said some things you just you're like you gotta be honest with the brother like bro they saying you did this man yeah i hope that's not true bro like if you need anything i'm I'm here but like i hope you didn't do that because mm-hmm. i don't rock i don't rock with that i think that we gotta i think instead of making the assumption um that our boys won't do that we gotta we gotta be vocal like you like you just were and be like i don't rock with x y and z yeah so your boys start to get a sense of oh he's not gonna be supportive mm-hmm. if he finds this out like i remember um i remember i had a i had a former friend who was also a co-worker and he was doing some foul stuff um with the participants uh or with the people that our organization served mm-hmm. um and he never told me about it. And even though I can't stand this, this person today, um, don't ever want to see them again. I do appreciate if I appreciate anything that he did, he didn't tell me what was going on. Mm. And I remember having a moment where I told him like, Oh, I'm not into X, Y, and Z. And I think that was the moment where he knew, Oh, well I am. So Ashton, oh. you know, scholar P is not into that. So like, I can't if I'm doing X, Y and Z with our clients, I can't divulge so that insane. information.
0: Question. Right. So were you surprised when you found out that he was doing whatever he was doing?
1: I, I, absolutely. He was he was mm. a, he was a really great snake. He oh, was a really okay. Great snake, okay. You know, and, and the thing about it was, and I think that that's why we got to be so careful because I would never assume that he would have done the stuff stuff that he did. Um, I would have been like, yeah, my, you know, my people don't do that. And mm, then you get the heartbreaking news that not only has he betrayed you you in one way, but he's also doing X, Y, and Z with the clients, and it's just like. Oh my God. Okay. Oh my God. And so like, I've had that heartbreak up of a homie being, and finding out like, Oh snap. And then having a supervisor being like, did you know? And I can be like, heck no, I didn't. But mm. I also let them know, like, I don't do that type of stuff with yeah. people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I don't do that type of stuff with clients. That's not how I interact. Uh-huh. So like, you know, it's, it's a tough thing. So whether it was Chris and Andrew or Andrew and then Chris or, the, or them simultaneously doing these types of things together or living in an ecosystem where that stuff was cool, mm. someone should have checked someone at some point.
0: That's a bar. That's you a know, bar. We're,
1: we're, we're, both, we're both older brothers. And it's like if we see our sibling getting into stuff, I feel like we would both rather have an argument with them now and get in a heated discussion now Mm -hmm. than to see them in a bad situation later.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. But technically I'm a younger brother, but I I, I feel the older brother role. (laughs) Whoa,
1: that's nuts. Okay. Um, But
0: no, I I definitely get you. And even like in my job, right? Like I work with a bunch of young men, like I work with high schoolers. Um, So I, I think in that way, I also model some behaviors and also just advice like, they, the way they've like flocked to me so quickly and the way that they, they heed my advice. I think that just like you're talking about, like, I think that they know that the accountability is there too.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, fellas, fellas in particular, just, just be careful about the company that you keep, mm. but also if you love the company that you keep, hold them accountable early. Because there, I think, I think we all have friends who, who helped us, from like going to that other level where we mm-hmm. couldn't come back from.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Right. So just, just keep those types of things in mind, fellas, please, please, please. Um, and speaking of, you know, giving, you know, holding your brothers accountable, you know, sort of giving them the game. And uh, we got, we got to give a big shout out to coach prime. Coach prime has been one of the most entertaining coaches uh, that I've seen in a while. Um, getting up and walking, walking away from white men who don't put respect on his name. <laughs> I, 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 just was. I don't even watch football like that. But like, I give him the, I give them the, the championship title just for that. Uh, but he is also thinking about the world that these young athletes live in, um, and he brought in, uh, you know, model, um, you know, uh, uh, an expert on the finesse. Um, yeah, I was like,
0: I don't you know, know what to call her. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, ball baller baller recruitment expert <laughs> Brittany Rayner, um, and she she gave you know uh, these young men uh, who are aspiring to be NFL players, um, you know, the game on how you know people are after you once you get famous and how you have to protect yourself. And uh, t- t- do you want to give? I know you got a video. Do you want to give any pe- the people any more context?
0: Uh yeah, I mean I just thought it was interesting that uh he had brought her on campus. Um, but if y'all know anything about Brittany Renner, um, she has dated a number of uh, athletes. Very recently, I believe, uh, PJ Washington is the father of her child. Um, they've been having some definitely some disputes going on. She's a bit older than him, and she's been looked at as some type of a predator in a way. So it was interesting to have someone that has been labeled that through social media come talk to some more young men. But maybe that's the perfect person, just like you said, to come talk to these uh, these young men. And I think that that's what primetime thought. So I'm going to queue up this video real quick. She said something It's about a four minute video. I'm going to play just a few uh, seconds of it because she said something that made me really think and especially like us as normal people, like we don't have to even take this as uh, athletes or entertainers or whatever field you're in, right? Like I think that this advice is kind of applicable to everybody and I kind of think it's a good uh, talking point.
1: To talk to you. A lot of times, women, men in general, everybody wants something. Thank you. Everybody wants something. So it's like, even if we both have our own thing going on, me still being with you is a good look because you boost my stock, just like you boost my, you know what I'm saying? Like, I boost your stock, I, it's just that simple. It's, it's kind of like a give and take, but you have to be aware of what you're signing up for. You're trying to, you want to make it to the NFL, and it's kind of like, you do understand there's a lot that comes with that, right? There's going to, like, how, it's, to be able to decipher who really loves
0: you for you, I think that's, like, the billion-dollar question we're all wanting to know. This is how the game is played. Please know that we putting you up on game because some of y'all going to make it. I hope, pray all of y'all make it. Even if you make it in the business world, that's a whole nother category of game in that world too. They just dress it up a little different. Yeah, The game is the same. Only thing changes is your name. Yeah. That's I just spit right there. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to cut it off right there um so yeah like it it really made me think a lot um and i guess my first question um to start this conversation off is like do you think that relationships are as transactional as she made them out to be
1: um i think that they can be but there should there should be an equal give and take right so like Um. the relationship that she that you know that she describes you know, in that particular case, can be uh, a predatorial one. But like, there are people in relationships where, like, the expectation is, yo, you, someone makes the money, you make the money. I look good and provide you with, like, you know, your your phys- your physical, you know, sensual needs, and like that works for some people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, I think that in terms of the transactional piece, um, I don't like the word transactional. But like there should be an equal yoking of of exchanges, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like I like I shouldn't feel like I I shouldn't feel like um, the transaction is imbalanced. I guess.
0: Yeah. Okay. It's
1: like we're both bringing things to each other, each other that both of us. Want even if we're uh, independent alone, when we come into a relationship, there are benefits for me and there are benefits for you. Mm-hmm. And I guess if if that's transactional, then okay. But I think that a lot of times when things are transactional. In um, bad relationships is because there's an imbalance. So, like, there's the stereotype of the woman who works super hard and you got the man with no job who smokes weed and plays video games uh, all day, doesn't do any housework. And it's like he's not really giving her too much versus mm. everything she, she's doing for him. And I think that that's where a lot of toxicity is. Or you're in a relationship and someone's not giving you loyalty and faithfulness, but you're giving that to them. You know what I mean? Yes. So I, I think that transactional isn't necessarily the bad, the bad thing, but it's the imbalance of that transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and, but but what do you think?
0: Well, I, I think that like I think a transactional because she said everybody. She wasn't just talking about mm. um, just romantic relationships. She said everyone that is around you is uh, constantly thinking, like, what can I get from you? And I know that's a rough paraphrase, but it's like she sees herself as Brittany Rayner, And she's one thing that really stuck out to me. Is she said something along the lines of trying to figure out who loves you for you is really the million dollar question. And I think that that life, it sounds and feels very lonely. Right. Like she is putting people on game in a way. But that is the space that she occupies. I don't think I occupy that space. Now, I do I do expect that the people around me, the people that I feel like that are in my like core tier and even like in my tier of friends, like they're reciprocating the same energy that I give them. Like if I'm taking care of them, I hope that they're taking care of me in different ways. Of course, we all need different things, but I expect them to be good friends if I'm a good friend to them. And I only have friends that I feel like are pretty good friends. So I know I can be good friends to them, too. Um, but I don't think actively think about like, Oh, what is this person bringing to me in my life? And I feel like that is where it gets a little, it, it becomes transactional, right? Like, I think that that's what makes it. Cause when I say the difference between transaction and reciprocation is I think a lack of warmth in a way, like that's kind of how I think of it in my head. Like a transaction is something that you can keep a receipt of like reciprocation comes in different forms like the ebb and flow looks a little different and it's not as it doesn't have to be equal in a very direct way like I think that there are different like ways you can like kind of like make them work together if that makes sense like some friend might need help moving and I'm like Well, I would hope I would expect them to help me move, but also like if their life is set up in a different way, but maybe they they made me dinner. They invited me over for dinner. Right. Like, I think that those are ways we can kind of see. But when she's talking about it, I think she thinks about like the clout that she provides people and people want to be associated with Brittany Renner. Um, So therefore that if you want to be associated with me because of my name and my social capital, like what are you bringing me? And I think that then a lot of relationships don't feel genuine. So I I feel like the ones that you do have to kind of keep track of transactions and like that, like either you're not close or it's not genuine. Um, So those were the first few things that made me think of it. But yeah, like it, it, I I, I even thought about it just outside of like romantic relationships.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And that, and that's why, you know, I think that it's awesome seeing the lives of these like celebrities, especially when they're young and people get their money up, their notoriety up and they get, and they build their brand. But one of the things that I appreciate so much about, about our lives, like, you know, when we, when we get our success, our fame, our notoriety, like we have, we already had that foundation. You Mm, know what I'm saying? Like I have nothing but, like you said before, close friends who got my back. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And every time I hang out with them, I'm just like, damn y'all some really good people like Mm -hmm. I'm very very fortunate to have y'all and like sometimes I feel like dang I don't even deserve this but I remember my aunt telling me it was around the time of my birthday she was like well Ashton like the only way you could have such good people around you is for you to also be that good person because Mm -hmm. if you weren't a good person if you weren't a good friend those people wouldn't be drawn to you Mm -hmm. or and, and you wouldn't be able to sustain and maintain those relationships so I think that you know I don't I don't ever worry about that type of stuff. Because even like one of, one of my best, best friends, uh, Kenny with Blavity shout out with Kenny, uh, Kenny Yancey, man. Um, he's, we, we're both in the media game and like, it nothing ever feels transactional. Mm-hmm. I'm like, like we actually check up on each other, send each other resources, talk, talk to each other about life. Like, you know, on a genuine level, you know what I'm saying? And I mm-hmm. think that it's like you said, it is really sad. If that's, if that's all you think about, Think about because the world and the environment you in that's all it has to offer you. And I think that it's so important to try to build those types of foundations early on mm-hmm. and try to figure out ways to do things uh, in order to spot out those people. Right. Yeah. So like instead of. Instead of going to the fancier restaurant, see what friends want to go to you, go with you to a regular bowling alley or Little Caesars, you know Mm, what I'm saying? mm. Like things that aren't necessarily as materialistic, things that, you know, could get at the core of who you are and what you like to do and what you find interesting. Because I think think finding your people after you already have the success and the fame, that's a really, really tough spot to be in. And my heart goes out to those people because it is like you either – you know, want me for my body or you want me for my money or you want me, uh, for, for the brand and the photo op. And it's just like, I already got a core of people. If I don't mm. have another friend ever again, like I'm good in most, in most U S cities, like, I can go and find them. <laughs> I can go and find a genuine friend or I already okay. has some genuine friends, friends. And like, it doesn't matter how much fame or notoriety I, I get at, at this point. Right. And so I think that that's a beautiful thing. And I think that people have to find ways and strategies to spot out Those who are transactional, like you said,
0: big facts and uh, shout out to our viewers and our listeners. Um, Somebody just left a dope comment. I thought it was a really good question. It says, do y'all have any experience or past friendships that felt transactional? Uh, Scholar P, do you have any off the top of your head?
1: well you know it's so funny because you know i i had a friend he he was like a mentor and he thought and like i would ask him questions about you know industry and entertainment and like at one point he got he got upset because he was like oh all you do is ask me about x y and z but that was because i thought i looked at him as more as a mentor Mm. and like that's that's what i thought the relationship was but um you know that's I was like, dang, like I got to start thinking about that because one of my other mentors was like, yeah, like, you know, students from a particular university, y'all are known for being very, very transactional Mm -hmm. and and you need to think about that. So I think that's when I even started thinking about the idea of of a transaction. Um, I remember one time one of my I, I thought about one of my friendships and I was like, you know, are we really friends? Or like, do you invite me to places because you need someone else to help split mm. cost of travel and this, that, and the third mm. with you? Um, so I have had moments where I've thought about that. And I think my friend from my job, um, I, I don't know if the the it, it was transactional, but like, I guess he wanted me in, in his, in his pocket. I guess he wanted to know, know my business and feel like, you know, my, my trust was a form of currency for him. Mm, you know what I'm I saying? Cause that. my secrets and my trust. And he's like, I know the dirt on everybody else because, and it was funny because I think he was got, he had so much dirt. Mm-hmm. that he wanted to make sure that he ingratiated himself with everybody that he could mm-hmm. so he could build an alliance for when his dirt did hit the hit the fan, which it did, but he was so incompetent at his job that it actually hit the fan after he was fired. So Ooh. good riddance. Okay. Uh, <laughs> have, have a great life. But what about you?
0: Um, you know, I feel like I never even considered the thought until I got to college uh, because growing up, it was like we all didn't have nothing. So it's like we didn't want nothing from each other. You know what I mean? Like we used to go to Jack in a Box and we used to scrape as much change as we could together. It used to be like four or five of us. And we would just buy as many like Jack in a Box tacos because you can get like two for a dollar. So it's like we had like six dollars between us. That's six tacos. And it's like we all can eat a little bit. So it's like that's how I used to live my life. So, I never even considered that people one kind of keep tabs on each other, or two, like actively think about, like, oh, well, what are you bringing to me, you know? So, when I got to college, uh, again, I was at Boise State and these were predominantly white people. So, I, I didn't know that they moved different, right? And yeah, bro, like, I remember there was one kid, he had a bike and he felt like I only wanted to be his friend because he had a bike and I used to ride mm-hmm. his bike to work. But it's like, well, bro, I'm the only one working and you didn't have no bike. You, your mom bought the bike. Your mom should be telling me thank you for using the bike because you just keep it locked up. It's not like you use it. And I talk to you every single day. Like, you literally are my neighbor. Like, we, we hang out. Like, I didn't know he was keeping tabs. But it was like we – and it's crazy because it's like we did everything together. We would go grocery shopping. We would go to the gym. We would share milk and things like that. So – we would all take turns and then one day like we were all coming back and I didn't have any more like the little brewing bu- bucks or something. I think that's what it's called. Not, not brewing bucks, it was Bronco bucks or something. I had ran out and uh, I was like, Oh, uh, can you buy the milk? And he was like, no, nah, I bought the last one. You always, uh, he said, you always something. I was like, bro, what? Like this, this is coming out of nowhere. And then it's like the, the other kid said something. I'm like, Oh, so y'all have been talking about this. Because then I was like, okay, well, like, let me know what all the other things y'all been keeping track of. And they was like, oh, well, you used our bread last week. And I was like, bro, we literally get bread together and I ran out. Or no, this is what happened. I had ran out and they had a little bit more because it was two of them and it was one of me. So I was like, can I get some bread? Like, I'm starving. And they was like, yeah. And they didn't have a problem with it. And I, I they were like, oh, you don't have any more? I was like, not I only have the butts of it. And one of the kids was like, oh, I love the butts. Like, I'll take it. So I'm like, cool. You like the butts? I don't. You can have this. I thought that that's equivalent exchange. Like, no. So they were keeping track of these little things. So then it's like at that point, I was like, oh, I now know that this is not really a genuine friendship because, like, these are such little things. Like, like, milk is like, I think a milk was like a dollar fifty or something. Like, and it's like I would buy them lunch. When I had money, so it's like, but now that I'm out of money and I'm out of money, cause of y'all, like, you know what I mean. So like, that's when I was like, oh, things are very transactional. People are literally keeping track of dollars and making sure that they're dead even. And it's like, well, it, there's no equity in that. I think that that's the biggest thing for me is like, y'all, y'all are literally rich. Like, <laughs> I've seen y'all homes and stuff. Like, y'all really got money. Like, I am really on this wooey scholarship and i'm also working a job to to be able to exist on this campus and y'all don't feel this emotion but y'all feel like we're the same and that i'm using you but i'm really at a disadvantage more than anything like so i think that that was one of my first big like uh encounters but then when i went to another university a dude told me he was like yeah i low-key really hang out with you he didn't say this directly and like i think we were cool but he told me that he first started hanging out with me because he noticed that women were attracted to me He was like, well, you be with the women like I'm trying to be with the women. So it's like I figured I'd be cool with you. And then I realized you were cool and I didn't know how to take that at first. And we ended up not being friends that much long after that. But like and that wasn't even really the reason why he just wasn't like my cup of tea. But that did again, I was a a bit transactional. It was like, oh, you like me because of this. Right. And I think I, I try to be very cognizant that I'm not doing that to other people. But I also can't tolerate people that I don't like. You know what I mean? Like, right, unless right. I genuinely like you as a person, I just don't talk to you or I don't spend no time with you. Like the people I really rock with, they know I rock with them, and I don't. I don't really have a, a in between. So I hope that I'm not transactional, y'all. If y'all listening to this, well, you probably don't think I'm transactional if you are listening to this. But if y'all do, let me know. I appreciate that, and I, I I'm trying to be a better brother. You feel me? Uh, absolutely yeah absolutely yeah it,
1: you know, but but i think i i think it's it's great that we're having vulnerability cuz i've definitely been transactional even as you were talking i was like mm. dang like there there are some friends that like i definitely come off as transactional and like i want to mm. make sure that i'm rectifying that and and letting them know like oh we can hang out for other reasons. Mm, you know what I'm saying? Mm, Not just X, Y, and Z uh, for sure. So yeah, think, you know, think about whether you've been in those types of relationships or whether you've contributed, contributed to that, you know, notion and idea of, of being transactional. Right. Mm. Um, but you know, um, you, you were talking about a lack of, of equity in some of your, uh, f- friendships in that one in particular. Um, and that brings us to Anthony Broadwater. All right. Um, and this this story like really saddens saddens me. Um and you know, it was about a man who was falsely accused of sexual violence. Um let's clarify a black man who was falsely accused of sexual sexually assaulting um th- um this white woman and uh you know it's she she said that she was greatly sorry um for for doing it. Um and it's it's interesting. Mm. It, it's it's in, it's very, very interesting to me um, that, you know, that that was just sort of it, because um, when I when I hear stories like this, I think about, well, what do what do reparations look like? And it's unfortunate because I, I hate this idea of punishing, you know, survivors of sexual assault. But when you but when you make that claim and it wasn't like she made the claim and the man but the man got got was, you know, uh, found innocent this man spent 16 years in prison. We have no idea what he experienced, what Mm -hmm. he saw, how that impacted him emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. Mm -hmm. And I guess for me, I'm like, well, there has to be, there has to be something, a way outside of her saying, sorry, that she helps try to rectify what she's done or, or make an impact, a positive impact on this man's life to, to sort of try to begin to offset the extremely negative one. And I think that the court's, I think that the courts have to do something, mm-hmm. it, 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 I think, especially given the historical context of black men being falsely accused of sex of, of rape by white women in particular. There has to be something that happens because I'm very, very tired of hearing this narrative, especially as a black man who has a lot of black men in his life that he cares about, who, who might have black sons like, you know, and, and forget the people I know and care about and love who are black men, any black man who experiences this. Heck, even the pe- black men I don't like, I don't I don't want them to experience this. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that there has to be. And I think that this is where we, we've talked about, um, you know, pr- prisons and jails today. But like just just to think about restorative justice. um In a different way And what that looks like Is is really key here But T What do you think?
0: Yeah absolutely bro Um, And just adding Some more context So the woman's name Is Alice Sebold And she's actually An award winning author Um, If you've ever seen The movie Lovely Bones It has uh, Mark Wahlberg in it He stars in it Um, So she originally Wrote that book That book was turned Into a movie Which made her A chunk of change And she also wrote A memoir called Lucky Which also did Pretty well um, which was about her uh, sexual violence experience. Um, so that happened when she was a college freshman. She was a victim or she was a survivor of uh, rape. Um, but then she ended up falsely accusing Broadwater. So she actually was uh, the, the the event actually happened to her. But she couldn't figure out who had done it. It happened in a park right outside of Syracuse. And um, so some weeks go by. She had already chosen a man uh, wrongly, chosen a man in a lineup, and then she was at the park, and uh, she either ran into Broadwater or had spoken to him, and she had a a gut feeling, she says, that that was who it was. She took the stand and, um, and testified against him, and he spent 16 years in prison, so he was actually released in 1999. And he was released when she actually released her first book. Um, And when she released her first book, he had to register as a violent sex offender. And he spent from 1999 to 2021, he spent his time uh, in poverty because he couldn't really get a job. No one wanted to be with him. I believe he's married now. um, But, you know, it's a it's a giant stigma. Um, If it's it's like he was branded, he he uh, he he was taboo right like no one wants you're a rapist right like no one wants to be around you um and he but the whole time he always uh maintained his innocence and um a shout out to actually it was a movie producer that was looking at uh the case and that she he was looking to turn her memoir into a, a, a movie just like lovely bones was turned into a movie um, and when looking at it and looking at the court documents, he saw a lot of inconsistencies and someone picked up the case. Um, and he got, he got some funds and was able to, um, finally get the, the charges exonerated, um, and get those charges off his record. So yeah, like, I, I guess I want to come back to that question that you posed scholar P like what is, what does reparations look like for Anthony Broadwater? Um, and can we even in that acknowledge that yes, she was a survivor, but still hold her accountable for the damage she, for the damages she caused? And for me, I think reparations look like her royalties, like you got rich right. off of this, like if you got rich off of this and this man got poor off of this um like it it is only it is only right, right? like because you benefited. And this person was harmed in the making. And if all you can do is offer like a sorry, like no, nah, like sorry come in a check form. And sorry comes in a lot of different benefits. It comes in if he has kids. I think he even said he decided not to have kids because he couldn't bear the fact that they that his that their father would be labeled as a rapist. Right. So like this man was his life was forever changed. And I think a lot of people talk about jail time. Um, but I, I don't think that that is that's even enough and I don't think that that that's punishment right and that might make us feel good but that does nothing for Anthony I want to know what helps Anthony like what are some things that we tangibly can do that can make the rest of his life better um right. that's really what I'm interested in um uh, what yeah. about you
1: well no yeah I, I think first of all you know I think I think give, you know giving him uh you know his proper compensation is one thing but I feel like we have to think about those sixteen years and how we make the next sixteen, like uh, next sixteen, more equitable, right? So, if I'm if I'm the judge in that case, I'm setting him up with a nice house. He's he's going to be get, be in there rent free for at least a few years, mm-hmm. if not if not another sixteen, sixteen,
0: yeah, might as well,
1: right? He's going to get years. He's going to get years of free counseling services with with top notch counselors, right? Sixteen. So of them. I, 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 I I think that when these types of things happen, we got to think about a holistic approach Mm. and that judges should actually talk with some with some some form of of activists or people who have seen the devastating impacts um that that re-entry um that people who are re-entering society have to go through and there should be a holistic plan especially when they're wrongly convicted mm-hmm. right and say these are some of the the issues that anthony is going to have to deal with this these are some of the things he o- has already dealt with and so these this is how we 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 try to compensate him for these these uh, years because it goes way beyond money. Mm -hmm. Right. Someone because, you know, he has money, but like he could blow, blow through that money on all sorts of things to help numb the pain of being Mm in prison for years. We don't think about that thing, Mm -hmm. that type of stuff. You give me a million dollars, but I I was attacked physically, verbally, emotionally in prison for 16 years. Like what? And, and, you know, there are some people who get out of jail who have been wrongfully convicted that I that I'm sure, you know, they they revert. They revert. Mm -hmm. They go back to the things that they had to do to survive, Mm -hmm. survive in the system. Right. And so I think that there's when we think about restorative justice, we have to think about what is likely to happen to for, for this man to break down, for him to, you know, do a crime for the first time since he didn't do a crime the first time since he didn't do a crime the first time, Mm -hmm. like what can happen to, to make this man slip up because we, we have to assume that prison is a life altering experience in the worst Mm -hmm. way. So with that assumption, what are the different aspects? And then what can she do? What can she do to, to, to show not only her forgiveness, but you know, show that you there's, there's a way where false accusers can try to rec- reconcile, make things better and make things right. And I love the royalties conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think that judges have to be more radical with, with how they can't just, the release isn't the gift.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's,
1: it's, it's, it's replenishing of the life. Mm-hmm. It's a proactive, it's, it's a proactive protection of the harm, of the harm that prison has done, mm-hmm. has inevitably done to somebody. Not, not everyone is coming out of prison and is going to be a lawyer. Like you have, you have those, you have those special cases, but mm-hmm. like that's not most people's reality. So like, like everyone thinks, Oh, you get out of jail. Your life is great now. No. No, you're, the hardest part probably is just now starting. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't think people think about that. So I think that um, going back to your question, like, I love the royalties. I know she has to be involved in some way, but I also think that just from a more holistic standpoint, we have to start thinking about what happens when when our reentering citizens actually get released, and we have to be proactive. And, and obsessive and making sure The systems are in place for them to have a An abundant life and not mm-hmm. and not A mediocre one afterwards
0: That's big facts, that's big facts I really appreciate you saying that because the first thing I thought Of was Rodney King, right, it's like Rodney King got really beat Bro, like he really got beat and then he Spilled some jail time and then uh, He won a civil case um, And he lived a very rich life For a short amount of time and then uh, That that honestly led to his demise so it was like but if Rodney King had maybe gotten a holistic approach instead of just like a chunk of change like maybe his life would have been different um and then the last thing I would like to say is just like you know I don't often like reporting on cases of like um like misidentified uh or, or like false rape allegations, because I know a lot of men, it's very popular for a lot of men to be very loud about false rape allegations, but very quiet about uh, actual rape allegations, right? So I, I didn't want to fall victim, or I didn't want to fall into that, that, that I don't know, that stereotype. Um, but I, I felt like this case was different. I think we, we really had to like, because I, I think when you see somebody really truly benefiting off of this and somebody harming, I think it is a real question. Um, but, yeah, we, we know that both are very true, that like there is a history of false right, right allegations when it comes to black men, especially with white women. Um, but then it is also true that. There are women that are survivors of sexual assault and men have to be vocal about that as well. If you want to be up in arms about the false rape allegations, I need you to be as big of an advocate for the women that um, are survivors of um, any type of sexual assault
1: absolutely and i think i think what i appreciate about about what we've done what we've done before is we've gone hard at cosby kelly people mm. that we actually do think you know are the, the hey, are, are sexual predators mm-hmm. yeah yeah the yeah the cornrows, like we we're we're gonna go hard with every with everybody i, I bet you can go back and see us talking uh, talking for a lengthy period of time about how they're about how those brothers were wrong and doing what they they've done and so i think it's, but i definitely get what you're saying t because it's it's such a hard line to toe Mm -hmm. and i i think that what's so crazy about this is that these false rape allegations are uh are going to be looked at as opposed to child for for for, um as and as an excuse to not believe the next one who who does claim sexual violence because Mm -hmm. the effed up part is that that woman probably that i think that woman did get get assaulted Mm -hmm. it's just very unfortunate that her gut her gut told her There was Anthony Mm. Broadwater. And so I think, you know, like you said, um, you know, men as men, especially I want to talk to men like you have to be upset about both. You have to be upset about both. Both are worth being upset about. And one and the prevalence of one is not an excuse to diminish the other. Mm, Right. Sexual assault is wrong. It's. Even though she falsely accused a man, it was it was wrong that she was she was violated. Her life has changed forever as well. Right. Like we're we're not going to we're not going to sit here and act like that's not the case. Um, But in the case of this of this black man, like his life has been changed forever. And I think this kind con- I think the bigger conversation here was about what does it look like when when someone when your life has been taken away and, you know, someone attempts to give it back back but they do it in a lackluster mm, way an apology and freedom aren't aren't that's 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 the lowest bar imaginable Preach. and i think in society we look at that as the highest bar imaginable he got out he got out well i mean look look Mar- martin and eddie got out got out at the end of life but <laughs> they, they only had a few years left mm-hmm. like, it doesn't you know their life was changed forever. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. They they didn't have kids either. They didn't. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it. There's. So we have to. We're better than that as a country. Mm-hmm. Um. Our the bar can be raised, and it's our our job to raise it. Mm-hmm. All right. Um. But speaking of raising the bar, we gotta we gotta get into our final segment of, of the evening, which is called our spotlight. And our spotlight is when um, we show love. Uh, to people who are doing great stuff in the community, you know, we started off with, uh, you know, a light roast criticizing folks, but we got to end it on a positive note. Um, so I think this week's uh, uh, spotlight is uh, verses. Um, shout out to uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony, um, as well as Three Six Mafia, uh, for the great battle that they had. Um, there, there was a little tiff um, between you know Busy and. Uh, Busy Bone and, uh, you know, uh, Juicy J, and you know, I I what I, but what I appreciate about them is that they were able to piece it up and still have a great show after the fight and after the altercation, and I think that we don't see that as often, because on one hand it's like, y'all are so old, y'all supposed to be beefing in your 20s, not your 40s, mm-hmm. but I think that it was very cool to see these 40-year-old men also piece it up quick like they were mature. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and then also, before... I'm going to just I'm going just to go over both and then get your perspective tea. Um, Drake and Drake and Yeezy, you know, bearing the hatchet, um, you know, to do a benefits concert for Larry Hoover. Uh, that that that's really dope. Um, and, you know, they they their beef was was a few years at least. Um, and it's great to see people at, at their primes, you know, also, you'll reconcile. So it's almost this beautiful thing of like seeing generational beefs, you know, sort of dissipate. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and and, um, and, and disappear. So that, that was a beautiful thing, but T, what do you think?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it was cool to see that with uh, Drake and Kanye. And it's actually going on right now. And I believe it started at 8 uh, PM and and it's in LA. So I wanted to figure out just a little bit of information. So it's like a Larry Hoover benefit concert, but I was like, who is Larry Hoover? So if y'all are wondering, Larry Hoover was the former gangster d- disciples, Uh, Leader, So the GDs uh, is uh, the most, I guess, renowned. I don't know what the perfect word is, Uh, but one of the biggest gangs in uh, Chicago. Um, So Larry Hoover is serving both state and federal convictions for a 1973 murder and a 1997 conviction about running like the GDs from prison. Um, right now he's serving uh, in a a federal supermax prison, two hundred year murder sentence. So this is why they're coming together, and the only way that he really can get free is off like presidential or like a governor pardon. Um, and why they're pushing for him to get out is because, uh, I guess uh in about in the nineties he rebranded the organization, um, the GD stand instead of gangster disciples standing for growth and development. And they were pushing for voter registration. Um, But yeah, so that's why the event is going on. They said that it had a budget of about ten million dollars and is likely to raise a lot of money. I was seeing tickets being sold for about two hundred to a thousand dollars a ticket. Um, I do feel like it I I, I don't know exactly what the the event is going to do, but I feel like it's a good opportunity uh, to be a major platform to talk about people that are over sentenced in general. Um, like I, I thought about, like how they had like free Angela Davis, but all political prisoners too. Um, so I hope that it's something like that. I know that there are some uh like nonprofits a part of this that will be receiving some of the the benefit, but it is also good to just see how Kanye and uh, Drake can come together for a bigger cause. And I just hope that this benefit concert isn't just like a publicity thing, but that is actually to like look at prison reform and trying to figure out how to like stop like over sentences. Even if somebody did something crazy, like you would have to do something really really crazy to get 200 years, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I think that like if somebody was charged in 1973 like maybe just maybe like they've served out their sentence. And if not then like we really need to look at prisons and how they're they're built. Like if you can't reform somebody in 40 years, like I don't know if this really the institution and then I think that's what people are talking about when they talk about Uh, prison abolition so yeah that's just some ideas because i was really interested on why they came together and like what force could bring them together and it seemed to be jay prince for this this greater cause absolutely absolutely so yeah I, I hope i hope the spotlight
1: is not just put on these people but on the people who don't have the platform like a yay mm-hmm. like a like a drizzy um and and you know even like a larry larry hoover right because for for every for every one larry hoover you know what i'm saying there's there's thousands mm-hmm. more
0: anthony rawwaters um,
1: right 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 so shout shout out to them and shout out to the bigger cause and the bigger movement mm-hmm. um but look y'all with that that said that's all we that's all we got man today was a great great show man how, yes. how you feeling t
0: yeah no i think it was an amazing show bro i think it was a lot of great conversation i appreciate our listener that was rocking with us throughout the show or with the live show and that asked that phenomenal question we appreciate you um but yeah, bro, it was a good show. You got any final words for the audience? Hey, nah, nah. Uh
1: for, for well actually yeah, for those of you who are about to, for all this, is for all my students who are about to enjoy, or uh, are, are getting off of finals, um, have a great, great holiday break. Um, you'll be able to listen to us without the hassle of homework and papers, and you'll be eating your your Christmas turkey in a couple more weeks. So mm. just enjoy this time, and you deserve to decompress. That's what I want to leave our audience with.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, in the holiday cheer, I hope y'all enjoy this gift from us. Um, but as we sign off, you know, we got to say, keep the coffee black. All right, y'all. Thank y'all for rocking with us and we will see y'all soon. Peace. Peace.